I just, I'm trying to figure out a way to start this podcast off without saying, what's up, guys, and welcome to the Learn Lead Podcast. Well, you just did. You just started it a different way. There you go. I did, right? <laughs> so what's yeah, up, no. guys? Welcome to the Learn Lead Podcast. Hope everyone's having another great day. Episode Landon, 16. What? Episode 16. 16. That's four, what, four months? Four months of uninterrupted work. Relatively every Thursday so far. Yeah, I think we missed one time. I was I was pretty upset about it, but uh, I mean the consistency has been awesome. Hashtag consistency wins. Speaking of which, if you if you haven't donated, uh, those uh, those wristbands are going like wildfire. We just ordered another five hundred. The goal was for that whole fundraising campaign. The goal was a thousand bucks, and I was going to run that for like a month. We made thirty three hundred bucks in the first day, and that was uh. That was pretty insane. So the, the links in the bio, links everywhere. I'm going to be posting digital flyers and all that stuff will be up. Really appreciate everyone who did donate. What are the what, what's the color scheme? So we got a white wristband with black lettering. Then we got a white wristband with red lettering and a blue wristband with red lettering. Trying to go for that American flag vibe. And and again, what is the cause? Like what is it what is this money going to? Uh, so basically, the cause is No Kid Hungry, where we are just donating. The, I mean, America's children are going hungry right now. I mean, the, the economy is not where it needs to be. Thank God we're uh, we're starting to recover a little bit. And I just hate the fact that we're so privileged in America and people are still going hungry. And in this country, at least, it's uh, I got to do whatever I can to play my part. I know it's nothing crazy. It's a drop in the bucket. But hey, whatever we can do. And it's, uh, I mean, we're getting... Uh, some nice wristbands out there. You're getting uh, you're getting entered into a raffle where all these local artists are uh, raffling off some really good stuff. So uh, it's definitely a really cool little event we got going on. The, the goal was initially two thousand dollars, and that got blown out of the water in the first day. You reached over three thousand dollars. What's the new goal now? Well, the goal the goal was originally a thousand. Okay. And uh, yeah, I switched it over to five thousand. And we're looking, we're, we're nearing like 3,500 right now. It's slowed down a little bit because the marketing hasn't been uh, really well on my end because I'm waiting for the uh, the flyer so I can start pushing that out, make it more simple for people to uh, to look. And then I'm going to start tapping into all these different networks and uh, sending it over. I think we're going to blow 5,000 out of the water within the next month. The pricing is three for 10, one for five, correct? One wristband yep. for five bucks, three wristbands for 10 bucks. And by the way, guys, we're not taking any profit from this. This is going right into you know the charity, right into to feeding, feeding kids. Zero dollars we're taking. And uh, the, if, if you donate more than $10, unfortunately, three wristbands max because they're going, like I said, like wildfire. They're uh, they're really cool. I mean, they're just going to say hashtag consistency wins on the inside at the Learn Lead podcast. You're going to look down and you say, shit, consistency does win. And uh, look at here. We're, we're episode 16. If you're listening to this, guys, thank you so much. It's uh, such a blessing to have. I, I think I think we've exceeded our expectations this far in. I mean, didn't didn't expect to have thousands and thousands of downloads up to this point and have people listening every week to us and getting people texting me every every week about the episode or whatever it may have been. Um, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. And, and full transparency, like guys, we, we, we don't, we're, we're not necessarily working like madmen on this right now. We're, we're trying to partner up with people to really help uh, with the marketing aspect and uh, getting more people on, but we're, we're, we're full-time running a business. We got other business stuff going on, on the side. And, and this is uh, I mean, this is definitely something we take very seriously, but just wait until we figure out our real process and can start really being super efficient with this. And this thing is going to grow big time. Yeah. And I mean, we're probably spending maybe two and a half hours a week on this. I mean, maybe, I mean, if we have a week where we're doing a podcast, we're doing an interview, might spend an hour on the interview and might spend uh, like what we're doing right now. This is a separate, we do separate recordings for our intro. So we sit down, it's seven, six in the morning right now. We sit down for, another 30 minutes and do the intro for our guest. And then we throw them in into uh, our editing software and then we pump it out. And really, like you said, this is really kind of just a, I mean, maybe a hobby is a, is a light term, but it's really just something we're doing for fun that we're really enjoying and, and getting to meet different people from all different walks of life. And it's been cool to kind of hit the ground running and, and find our, 
find what works for us and what doesn't. You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, the goal was to just stay consistent and continuously keep pumping them out and continuously networking, meeting new people. And then uh, we'll figure out the grand scheme things when uh, when that time comes. And I think, I think it's been great. You know, it, it's blown my expectations out of the water. Enough about us. Enough about us running our mouths. Who, who do we got today? I like talking about myself. uh so we got mr rylan hormel which is awesome i mean these last two episodes if you uh, i i hear a lot of people telling me and a lot of people um posting about that they don't they can't find their purpose right they they don't understand what this is all about what and then they're just working that normal nine to five just going through the matrix just going through the normal everyday life with really no purpose so last week we had Ben Newman. Ben Newman was really good in helping you find your purpose and helping you find that burn. And now we got Rylan Hormel. This guy traveled to Japan by himself to go learn about this concept called Ikigai, which is about living a life with purpose. So Rylan's a partner and he's a retreat leader in the Live Better Company with uh, Jason and Brett, those guys that we interviewed previously. He's out in San Francisco doing his own thing right now. He's making a major impact in the community out there because... I don't like to get political, but the leadership out there is very, very bad. Um, he he does this. Uh, he's doing this hand sanitizer project for homeless people where they started really small and uh, he didn't see the grand vision and he got so many donations, all this crazy stuff going on. So they're uh, they're 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 making a major impact. And his his main goal is to just travel with a purpose. He likes to travel. He likes to take pictures. He's more of an entrepreneurial type guy. And he just uh, spreads good, good vibes into people's lives. Yeah, we talked. To, we talked about photography too. He's a he considers himself a professional photographer. Some good conversation about that, and we kind of went in a couple different directions. So it was, it's an interesting conversation. No, for sure. And uh, he teaches a little bit more of us about his meditation practice and the way he uh, calms his mind. And really cool stuff. I, I I definitely implore you to get that the pen and paper out because he shows us this this ikigai little workshop where you could really try and narrow down what you think your purpose in life is. We all need that sometimes. I did it. I really enjoyed it. And you basically figure out what you're what you're good at, what you like to do, what you can make money from, and what do you think the world needs more of. That's how you find a mission in life. So with that being said, guys, I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Please let me know if you guys need any templates for that that exercise. Check out the links in the bio. Please donate. We want to we want to feed the kids. This is the Learn Lead Podcast with your hosts, Tony V and Landon Arcangelo, coming to you with exclusive access inside the lives of some of the world's most successful leaders. got Mr. Ryland Hormel in the virtual studio here. Ryland's a partner and retreat leader in the Live Better Company with Jason and Brett, whom we interviewed recently, but he's actually out in San Francisco doing his own thing right now. Ryland's really making a major impact to the community there, especially in the time of coronavirus. Do you mind telling us a little bit about your the project that you got going on with the hand sanitizer, and then we'll tr- transition back to your personal background? Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me on, you two. Um, Anytime, man. This. So, um, we, we started this, this hand sanitizer project, um, out of a, an initial phone call. My, my housemate, Avery Yu, she works for, um, district supervisor, Dean Preston, who's actually the supervisor of the district that we live in. And this, uh, scientist out of UC Berkeley named Abrar gave, uh, Dean's office a phone call. And why he gave Dean a call is because, um, Abrar used to work for, for Dean or volunteered for him on his campaign and, uh, knew that he, he would be the, the person to, to get in touch with, to start to distribute hand sanitizer. Before I get into that, I need to probably jump back a few steps and Abrar and his partner, Yvonne, who are both scientists out of UC Berkeley, once their lab got shut down, um, amid the, the pandemic, they started to use what they had in the lab to make World Health Organization uh, hand sanitizer. So they made initially around 50 gallons of this stuff. And 
um, just being the incredible selfless individuals the two of them are, they wanted to get it out to the um, homeless community in San Francisco. So that's why they contacted Dean. He, they knew that he would he would be the the right person to to make that happen. And so what's funny is that Dean's office number gets redirected to my roommate Avery's cell phone. So Avery got the phone call from Abrar and um, they pretty much said, Hey, we we've made about 50 gallons of hand sanitizer. We just need to get it into bottles and need to know how to get it out to the community. So um, at that point, Avery looked at, at me and um, <clears throat> my, my other housemates and was like, what do you guys think about this, this idea? And we, we were quickly just like, well, let's, get it over to our garage since we're lucky enough to have a big garage in the city. And um, we'll start trying to collect bottles to, to put this in and, and, you know, start to find the right channels of distribution. <clears throat> so um, that's how we, we, we began the project. And, and from that first day, we just started to blast out to the community, um, you know, asking for do- donated bottles, um, anything from like perfume to lotion to shampoo and so the first three days of the project, I was driving all around the city uh, with my my other housemate Anthony, and we were just uh, con- collecting the, these donated bottles, and we were we were you know cleaning them and then putting the hand sanitizer into these bottles and and getting them out to homeless shelters and and other contacts that we had. So since that that moment, um, we then. Um, got back in touch with the, the scientists and, and Abrar and Yvonne let us know that they actually had the channels to start producing the hand sanitizer in a much larger amount. And so that prompted us to say, um, you know, to kind of just like go back to the drawing board since the donated bottles was not a really a scalable solution. So what we did is we started a GoFundMe page, started to raise money and buy bottles from manufacturers in bulk. So um, we, we began to get, you know, thousands of bottles a week. Um, we started to get this out to, I think now we've gotten it out to over 30 homeless shelters in the, in San Francisco. Um, we've gone into various vulnerable communities across the city, um, to hand this stuff out and partnered with a lot of incredible, incredible individuals. But, um, it's the, the whole project from that very f- first phone call about a month ago, um, has just absolutely exploded to the point where we are one of the main um, sources of hand sanitizer for the entire Bay Area. So um, it's been really a, a remarkable ride. And, um, you know, I think the 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 key point behind this whole project and the, the thing I like to tell people is that the entire project is just one giant metaphor to show how the city, the mayor, and the systems and just leaders that we have in place right now are just failing the people because there is no like there's no reason that we should be the ones producing and distributing hand sanitizer this should have already been available for the people that needed it during this time um and so it's pretty it's pretty remarkable that um you know we've been able to assemble a team in such a short amount of time and and get this out to to the community. But, um, again, you know, that this is, uh, I think it really highlights the injustice that, that is happening around cor- coronavirus. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of communities that are, are really not living comfortably right now and are in a very dangerous situation. So we're doing anything we can to, to be of service to them and, um, you know, just pay back to, to our city that we all grew up in and, and love. So I know you've had a lot of donation and a lot of people working with you. How much money have you, have you raised in this effort? Um, to date, we've raised around $15,000 and we're exploring now, um, you know, strategies to kind of ride that momentum and, and raise even more money since, um, I mean, like I, like I said, like we, we need to scale this operation up because a lot of people are um, calling on us to, to get them hand sanitizer. And we just found out um, the other day, actually, that, that through, through a survey that was done through healthcare professionals in California, the number one need right now 
is hand sanitizer. So, um, you know, we, we may even bring this um, statewide in the future if, if we have the opportunities. Rylan, why, why you, why, why are you doing all this? What, what's driving you and what's your, what's your burn that, that caused you to want to do this? Great question. Yeah, that, that is a great question. And I think, um, you know, initially when, when coronavirus hit and we, we had the shelter in place order, um, my, my housemate, Anthony and I, we were just talking about ways to, um, get involved and give back to the community. Uh, he's a carpenter. I'm a, um, you know, my main work is photography and videography. So, you know, between the two of us, all of the work and projects we had got completely postponed or canceled. So we now had all of this time on our hands and, um, you know, we, we love, we love the city. It's where we grew up and we wanted to just, you know, be of service. So initially we were looking into, um, you know, just volunteer to, to deliver groceries to, to folks in need. And then, you know, the, this, this phone call, um, happened and, you know, it, it was a very easy choice for us to kind of jump on board. And, um, you know, I, I think that we, we kind of had the call to service in the beginning. And then, you know, once we kind of put that out there, we were, um, met with this opportunity that was kind of a no brainer to, to work on. And, you know, in terms of just being able to serve the unhoused community, um, it's something, you know, I, I'm, I'm very passionate about. And I, I actually think back to a time when I, when I lived in Oakland uh, around maybe five, four or five years ago. And <clears throat> I moved into a community there where we had a lot of homeless folks um, all around, all around us. And the first week I moved in, um, one of my neighbors who was a longtime resident in that community, she pulled me aside and she, um, you know, she, she welcomed, welcomed me to the neighborhood and, and said, um, you know, look out there. You see, see all the homeless people out there? I said, yeah. She goes, well, they're, they're not homeless. They're your neighbors. And you need to treat them that way. So go get to know them. Get to know them on a name-to-name basis. And if you can treat them like neighbors, I'll be a good neighbor to you. And that, that statement <clears throat> really changed my life it reframed my entire perspective on the unhoused community and um you know just through through living there in that community in Oakland i i quickly learned that you know not only were were some of these folks my neighbors they were, they were some of the best neighbors and most enjoyable neighbors i had i would hang out with them constantly so um you know it that that really was the first time I, I, I felt passionate about, you know, just understanding different nuances of that community and, you know, the intersections that that they deal with on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so when this opportunity in particular with the hand sanitizer project came about, um, I immediately thought back to that that interaction I had with that with my neighbor in, in Oakland and, you know, just realizing that this was another um opportunity for me to, to be of service. And I just, you know, I felt the call to action and it was my, my time to, to step up. But, you know, furthermore, I'm lucky enough to be living out this period with, you know, three incredible roommates that all kind of met that same type of passion and we're all working on this together. So, um, it wasn't just something that I decided to do. We as a group collectively decided to do this. And, um, I think part of that like camaraderie that we had had initially has been really important to the the trajectory and growth of this entire project. That's awesome, man. So well said. So now you you say you have this call to action, but there's clearly experiences and things that you had to have gone through to get you to this point to where people would even call you for a project like this. So do you mind explaining some of your your background and your experiences that you went through that led to you being in this mindset and living a life of service? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's so many different, um, examples I I can give you, but I think to just talk about it in the most broad spectrum, like I'm a privileged ass white male, you know, like I grew up with a, in a family that has money. I'm, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I live a, you know, generally comfortable life and I, I'm have a lot of access to resources that other people don't have. And, um, the way I've been able to 
you know, gain a perspective of service and, and giving back has really been through the, the friendships that I've fostered in my life. A lot of my friends come from, um, you know, various different backgrounds um, and a handful of them from communities of, of color and uh, communities of low income and, um, you know, just seeing life through their lens that they offer me um, has really helped me kind of check my, my privilege and understand just, you know, that there are these disparities in life. And, you know, I, I would really credit my friends and the people I have in my life for being the ones that gave me the um, understanding of, of giving back and, and the correct perspective on why to give back. And so, um, you know, I, I've had friends like that throughout my entire life. So, you know, I've really been expanding and evolving this perspective um, for for a while. But when I was in, in college, my, my freshman and sophomore year, my roommate was this gentleman named Darlington, who is today one of my absolute best friends. I consider him a brother. He um, is one of the... the the individuals I respect most in life from so many different standpoints, but um, Darlington's from from Liberia and, you know, not to get too much into his story, but um, he comes from about as polar opposite of a background as I have come from. And so our friendship has really been this incredible journey of just like two individuals who come from, two completely different sides of the spectrum who have this incredible love and respect for one another. And so, um, you know, Darlington's taught me so, so much about service, about doing it in the right way, about aligning yourself with the right types of people and understanding the why behind you get it, like just why you get into something in the first place. Like, is it to serve your ego or is it to serve, um, you know, something greater than that? And so after we graduated from college, um, myself and a handful of the other um, guys that I played soccer with alongside Darlington, we all helped Darlington start a nonprofit called Anything is Everything that gives back to the youth in Liberia. And so I actually had the opportunity to go out to Liberia with Darlington and spend time setting that up and just, you know, through, through that whole organization i've learned so much about um you know about grassroots organizing and the the impact it can have um and so you know to kind of circle this all back to to live better one of the things you know i was passionate about you know from the get-go is setting up some type of like give back um ethos within within live better and you know we, we we talked about it very early on like we never wanted um, our give back program or whatever you want to call it. We never wanted it to be a merit. We wanted it to be something that really embodied the integrity of the company from the ground up. So um, that's why we decided to make give better one of our four pillars. And it really stands for this idea that, um, you know, the reason you, you focus on all of this um, self love and self care is that, you know, once you can respect yourself, you can respect the world and people around you. And so, you know, we like to tell people like we work on ourselves so that we can then give back to others. And it's really become something that's been deeply ingrained into live better and something I'm very proud of personally, um, because it's, you know, it's one of the, the morals and values I, I live by. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wanted to ask too, I wanted to back up a second and ask, I remember you saying that the politicians are failing the community out by you specifically, but I can imagine it's not just where you are. So can you, can you kind of tune us in a little bit on what the politicians aren't doing that they, that they could be doing to better serve their, their community? Yeah. Again, I think, um, that's a, that's a question that can have many different avenues, but from, you know, my, my perspective in a broad way, I think what the politicians are doing is they are trying to um, lead without listening. And, you know, what I mean by that is, um, you know, I think a great leader is someone that knows how to follow other, other great leaders. So the other day we actually went into um, 
one of the communities here in the city that is a low income apartment complex and um they they have just been incredibly underserved by by the city at at whole at its whole and just the individual um leaders and so we actually got to go in with um the district supervisor dean preston that's um supporting our project and um, one of the things I noticed is, you know, an incredible quality of his is that he's a great listener. And what we did that day was we partnered with a um, local community organizer named Dennis. And um, what we did that day was we followed Dennis's lead because that's his community. You know, he's an ambassador for that community. And so instead of us coming in saying, hey, we know what to do. Um, we came in and said, "Hey, we we have the hand sanitizer, we have masks, we have volunteers, but um, we're here to follow your lead. Let us know, you know, how we can be of of best help and service." So I think that's really, you know, where we need to see see a change is that, um, you know, there's an incredible power in grassroots movement and organizing, but the way, the, kind of the pattern in which it works best is when you find an alignment between a politician and a local community ambassador or organizer and um the politician is willing to follow the the community ambassador and so um i think often we see the opposite happening where um you see politicians use local community members more as props than anything um and so i think we just need to kind of flip the script on its head and start listening to the people that really have their ear on ear to the ground and know know what what to do rather than just like follow speculation and, and do things because it gets you good press or you know looks good on paper but it doesn't actually change anything. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, and we that, and we appreciate you taking that call to action and being a big advocate for it and spreading awareness for it. You're doing a great job, man. With with that, I just want to transition a little bit because I know. This is your one of your calls to action. You're, you're starting to feel some uh, fulfillment, I'm assuming, through this and living a life of some type of purpose here. So for those of you that don't know, Ryland was on the uh, the virtual retreat and we did a really good workshop about this. Uh, it's called Ikigai and I'm sure he'll go deep into it. But do you mind sharing a, a bit about your experiences in Japan and why you went there and what you went to study? Kind of talk about how one can live a life with purpose. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, ever since I was a kid, I've always been obsessed with this idea of living differently. And um, what what that really means to me is that, you know, I've always seen this kind of like status quo style of, of living. You know, there's a trajectory, you go to school, you, um, you graduate high school, go to college, you major in something that you then you know, that becomes your profession once you graduate and you dedicate your life to that study and, and to that work. You get you get married, you have kids, you buy a house, you you know, you do all this kind of like quote unquote normal things. Um and I'm not knocking on any of that, but um I guess what I've always been like obsessed with is, you know, the alternative ways of, of living where it kind of looks beyond just the the um kind of simple trajectory that we're taught as kids and it looks more into the um into the life that we want to live if no one was to tell us how to do anything like how would we actually want to live our life and so um that's been what i teach on the live better retreats whether it's you know in el salvador or the virtual one you came on i'm tony and you know what what i'm what i'm teaching essentially is you know how to take a step back and reflect on on your life and your values and really start to think about you know hey what what is the life that i want to live um if i were to just kind of strip every um fear and um rational thought away for a moment you know if i could just design this this ideal lifestyle what would that look like and um you know, before I think you can really go into that, you need to have some type of foundation to, um, and, and framework for how to think about your life from the standpoint of, you know, the things that you're passionate about, the, the things that you are good at, what you can do in exchange for money, what, um, your core values are. And then ultimately again, like how you want to give back to, to the community and to others. And so, you know, through teaching this style of workshop for a few years, 
I then got introduced to this concept of Ikigai by, by one of my good friends, Carl Pauli. And um, what, I, I remember the day I, I learned about Ikigai, I just kind of had one of those moments where like everything just started to click around me. I was like, oh, I've been waiting for this because it's simple. You know, like we try to complicate things so much and, and we often like get confused that like the more complex something is or the more complex a topic someone's explaining, the smarter they they are. But it's it's really quite the opposite where it's like, you know, things are often way more simple than we give it credit for. And a lot of times like the answer's right there in front of us. And I think that's what Ikigai um, helps you um, discover. And so what Ikigai is, is it's a Japanese concept, philosophy. Um, I'm sure there's various ways to describe it, but really it's more, it's a way of life that a lot of people in Japan um, kind of live by. And um, it directly translates into um, life worth. So Iki means life and Gai means worth. And so, um, you know, the way I'm going to explain it right now is kind of like almost a Westernized um, version of Ikigai, whereas in Japan and like what I discovered is it's more of just like, a deep embodiment for the way they live their life. They don't necessarily think about it in this way because it's so deeply ingrained into certain parts of their culture. And, um, you know, I think like an example of Ikigai is when you see someone that's like deeply, deeply dedicated to their, to their passion and craft. And, you know, it's why someone can be, you know, a, a carpenter that works on a certain type of, building for 50 years of their life and they wake up every day and they, they just love what they do. And, um, you know, I, I taught, I taught this concept of Ikigai on our last retreat. And then right afterwards I had this, um, really incredible opportunity to go on a solo trip in Japan. So I I felt like I I needed to, to go and, and, and learn more about this concept if I was going to, you know, keep teaching it. So, I ended up going to, and I'll tell the story and then go into kind of the finer details of Ikigai, but I ended up in Okinawa, which is a, a small island off the south coast of, of Japan. And the reason I went there is because in doing some research, I learned that Okinawa has the most amount of people over 100 years old per capita. So it's a true blue zone. And um it's also said to be kind of like the birthplace of Ikigai. So I I went there and I ended up staying with this family um, in this small, small town of 50 people, no restaurants or bars or really anything to do. I had to cook every meal for myself. I had to get groceries beforehand. And I spent five days there just um, hanging out with this family, um, learning from them, spending time by myself, reflecting, um, and talking to some of the older folks in the town as well. And I, I remember when I brought up Ikigai with them, they were kind of like floored that I even knew the concept. And it was pretty cool just asking them some questions about what they thought about it because it, it was aligned with the way I was kind of teaching it. But um, I think furthermore, what I was really surprised at is that it was even more simple than I had thought about it. So um, the way they explained Ikigai to me was – you know, just, it's just doing the things that you want to do in life so that you can be the best version of yourself for the people around you. Um, and so an example of Ikigai directly that I learned on that trip was the, the, the wife of that family, the wife and mother, she ran the only shop in town, which was a small little cafe. And she explained to me that that cafe was her, her Ikigai. It was, um, you know, what she loved most in life was just going there every day and making um, little treats and cups of coffee for her friends and loved ones. Um, and it's, you know, it was that simple. Like that's what got her out of bed every single day. Um, and so that that's really what fueled my, my journey to Japan and wanting to, you know, go travel that, that country and learn more about the culture. Um, and so I'm excited to kind of ex- expand on on the way I teach Ikigai now that I have some of that background. But the the way I've been teaching it is essentially if you were to break down um, four quadrants, one of them being 
kind of on the top layer and that's your mission. And so to achieve your mission, you um, break down your profession, your vocation and your, your passion. And each of these kind of helps you find these intersections between what you love, what you're good at and what you can do in exchange for value. So if you're listening to this, you can simply just take out a piece of paper and write passion. And the question to kind of build out this list is list out every single thing in which you love. And so this can be like, for me, for example, it's like photography, being in nature, dinner parties, um, grassroots organizing, you know, it's literally anything that you love. Just make the longest list you possibly can. And then make another list for vocation. And vocation is all of which you are good at. And so this doesn't just have to be things that you're good at professionally. This could be like, I'm a good listener. I'm a good brother. I'm a good um, runner. You know, just anything that you feel like you're very capable at. And then make another list for profession. And this is all of which you can do in exchange for value and or money. And so there's an important distinction here. Not everything you do professionally has to be for money. Um, it can also be for value. So um, I'm trying to get, get an example here. And yeah, one that comes to mind is I did a work exchange with someone recently who um, helped me work on my application for a master's program in fine arts that, that I was applying to. And what I had decided before negotiating a contract with her was that the best value I could have gotten from her was her mentorship and expertise rather than her money. And so that was a, a really great exchange, but it's important to look just beyond monetary exchange and, you know, you could do things professionally for more than just money. So those are the three lists. And then once you are able to list all of those out, you, you, do, you then kind of take a step back and explore, you know, you know, where, where are some of the connections that you're finding between the three? And as you do that, you start to then understand, you know, how do you build out your mission? And your mission, the question I, I ask you is, you know, what is it that you think the world needs more of? And another way to, to ask that question is, what is it that you think yourself needs more of? Often those are two of the same things. And so, um, you know, that's Ikigai in a very, you know, rapid, rapid way of explaining it. But again, just to break it down, it's um, passion, love, or passion, vocation, and profession. So it's everything you love, everything you are good at, and everything you can do in exchange for value. And then those three things help you define your mission. And your mission is all of which you think the world needs more of. Part of your mission, at least from looking on your Instagram, seems to be what you're doing now currently, as well as photography and, and travel, not just in Japan, but I've seen you in a lot of other places. Can you talk a little bit about photography and travel and how that's impacted your life? Yeah, the, the camera has really been um, an incredible vehicle for me to see the world, see different cultures, meet a ton of incredible, incredible individuals. Um, you know, it's funny. I never thought I would be doing this professionally. Um, I picked up, I picked up the camera probably like a week after my last college, college soccer game, um, my senior year of college. So I, I realized that, you know, sports had an expiration date for me and I, I had put so much passion towards soccer that I became scared that I, I was going to begin to live a passionless life. And so I, I, I quickly kind of ran back to this, this thing that I was, um, that I loved as a kid. And that was arts. I was always obsessed with arts, but I was always told I was better at sports. So I always felt like I was almost an artist trapped in an athlete's body. And, um, that's where, you know, that, that last game was kind of this, true you know hanging up the cleats and it was this invitation to begin this this new journey in my life and you know that that medium for me and in, in the art space was was photography it was the camera so um you know my 
I, I never took, I've never taken an art class in my life, which is pretty funny. Um, I mean, besides in like middle school, but like I never taken a specific art class in my college or high school, but I'm actually going back to school in the fall to, um, um, work on my master's of fine arts. And, um, you know, the way I learned photography was just, you know, besides reading and watching a ton of videos online, I was just getting outside and, and shooting as much as I possibly can could. And, you know, that just started to, you know, find this almost cross pollination between two of the things I loved, which was, you know, being creative and being outdoors. And so, um, let me stop you. Let me stop you there for one sec. I have a, I have a question to build off of. What are some things that people do in photography that's just flat out wrong? And it's some simple things that they're just lacking some knowledge or some tips on. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, um, the, the, the first one is, you know, once you learn, once you can learn how to shoot manually on a camera, the, the creative world just completely expands. You can kind of have full control over the tool that you are using. And then the second thing, you know, and this can apply to any type of camera, including an iPhone is, you know, if you want to take a compelling photo, um, take the photo from an angle that that is unique. And what I mean is don't just hold up the the camera from, you know, your kind of your own perspective of like where, where your eyes are. And it's, I mean, this is what we always see on a day-to-day basis. So if you see a photo just taken from that perspective, it's not going to be that compelling rather get low, like get to the ground and take a photo from the ground up or get high and take a photo from, you know, an angle that's looking down at something. Um, you know, just finding unique ways to kind of manipulate an image so that it it has some type of energy to it that looks un- unique, and I think that uniqueness is ultimately what's compelling about something. I think I think also it's the same thing with music or or anything. If you listen to the same song over and over and over again, it can get a little stale or feel a little stale when you're seeing hundreds and hundreds of people doing the same exact thing. It, it, having some variety almost is it's a game changer. I feel like. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think the, the other thing is, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to get better at anything. And I'm going to talk about this specifically about photography, but I think this applies to every single craft um, in the world, but like you are not going to get better just by reading a book on it. You are not going to get better by watching a tutorial on YouTube. The only way you get better is through practice. And that practice is getting out in the field and, and working on your craft. So for me, you know, to now segue back into that first question, you know, that, that was getting out into nature and, and practicing, you know, my photography and, you know, very quickly, you know, that, that is what led me, um, to Brett and Jason and live better. And that's what got me involved with live better. And, you know, we've been able to travel the world together and photography has been one of the things that activated that for me. Um, photography is also one of the reasons I went to Liberia with Darlington was to be able to document that and, and build the initial marketing materials for anything is everything, but also to just document the journey, um, that we were embarking on. So, um, you know, photography has been more than just an art form for me. It's been this vehicle that's kind of helped me activate and live a lifestyle that, that I really want to live. And, you know, part of that lifestyle, one of the values within that is freedom and it's freedom to move around. It's freedom to, um, be creative and expressive. And, um, you know, I, I, I thank the, (laughs) the tools I have within the camera to be able to, to live that way. Dude, you are absolutely speaking my language here. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask this earlier, but I didn't want to interrupt you. How, how was, how were you able to communicate with the people in Japan? Um, a lot of folks spoke English. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. I just didn't know if there was a language type barrier over there. I mean, there, there definitely was like in that one community in Okinawa where there was only about 50 people, um, only maybe five of the folks spoke English. So there was a language barrier. Um, but you know, a lot of just smiles and, and hand gestures and whatnot. But, um, you know, if I was ever in a situation where, 
you know, I really needed to rely on, you know, some deeper form of communication. The Google Translate app is pretty darn remarkable. <laughs> I um, like it. Have a full-on conversation with someone who speaks a completely different language than than your own, um, and so I, I had to use that that a few times. But um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry for getting off topic there. But uh, so now, where do you where do you see yourself going with this? Any any countries that you have yet to travel that you really want to? And what's a what's your ultimate dream in this in this whole picture here? Um. Hmm. You know, sorry, I, sorry I think, to put you on the spot there. No, it's please do. I think it's a really good question, and I think just to give you an honest answer, with everything that's happening in the world right now, um, I'm kind of going back to the drawing board. To be per- perfectly honest, you know, I'm revisiting these exercises like Ikigai that I, that I'm talking about, and I'm I'm redoing them myself to kind of see where I stand. Um, you know, I think. This, this project we're working on right now has really opened my eyes up to a lot of new ways I can live my life and, and you know, be of service. Um, and then, you know, also just feeling this, this desire to be, to be um, living, you know, just in a, in a, a bit of a slower pace, if, if the, that makes sense. Like I grew up in a city and I'm in a city now in San Francisco and um, you know, oftentimes we just get in this like kind of hustle and bustle and, um, there, there's something I'm really, as I get older, I, I'm really appreciating kind of slowness in life and the ability to, to move a little bit more slowly throughout your day and have more time for reflection and more time for the things that you love to do and just conversations with people. So, um, you know, I don't know if I have a, a strong desire to keep traveling um i mean i i i know i won't stop traveling but it's it's not necessarily the most pivotal thing for me right now as is um kind of redesigning my my lifestyle and seeing where where that takes me so you know first and foremost i'm going back to school in the fall to do the masters of fine arts and i'm excited to see where that takes me but you know, ultimately, you know, I, I'm just kind of leaning on on the values I, I live my life by, which are, you know, to inspire, connect and amplify other people. So, um, you know, I really want to start to hone in on my craft as an artist to um, see how I can use photography and filmmaking and videography to, you know, to amplify some voices that, that need to be heard. Um, and so, you know, I could see that bringing me certain places, but um, not too sure. And just kind of a side note on that too, the way I, I approach travel is like, I don't really have a bucket list of places I want to go and people are, Oh, like, what are your, like, what's your dream like place to visit? You know, I, I, I really like to travel with purpose. Um, and so, you know, there, there's, there's some type of deliberation behind it where, um, you know, I, I don't want to just go on a vacation somewhere. I, I want some deeper meaning and reason to go to a place. Um, and, you know, I think a, a big part of that is, you know, give, giving back to, to the culture that you visit too. I mean, so, so many of us just try to get on these vacations to, to escape our busy lives. And we go into these different communities and cultures and, and we take without, without giving. And so, um, I, I just think that's a, an, an important side note to travel is to understand, you know, first of all, like why are you going into this community? And second, second of all, like how can you be an active participant in that community too? So Ryland, this is usually the part where the music's queuing in the background. And I ask you, how can our guests follow you? And I want to ask one thing first is what do you want to leave our guests with? How can they donate uh, to your cause? If they'd like to, and, and also, how can they follow your journey and your path? Yeah. Um, I guess guys, what I, what I want to leave you with is, you know, first of all, take it, take a step back from, from your life and just reflect on the things that, that you've done, the things that have made you um, just feel alive and, you know, start to realize that, you know, you can, you can live, 
any way that you want to live and you can design a, a very unique and special life and it doesn't have to happen overnight it's not going to happen on a you know flip of a switch but you know through a deliberate effort you can start to make small changes every single day so that you can um you know activate a lifestyle that you feel very proud and fulfilled in you know one of one of the greatest forms of love in life is respect and i think that a lot of things if you can just approach you know as much as you can at a at a level of respect a lot of things become very simple and easy um it's easy to build beautiful new relationships in your life if you just started off with respect um so find ways to respect you know the people places and things around you best way to follow me and get in touch is through instagram just at rye hormel r-y-h-o-r-m-e-l and um to donate there, there's a gofundme link in in my bio so check that out and uh yeah like just shoot me a dm if you have any questions i'm happy to talk about anything from from lifestyle design to um you know grassroots organizing to giving back um to your community um or just you know any other random things life related um but yeah instagram just let's keep it simple that way um just at rye hormel awesome and we'll post that in the description rylan we really appreciate you for being such a great servant leader and serving as a a great example for how uh, everyone could contribute to give back so if anyone needs any links or any templates for the ikigai thing i've done it and had a personal call with rylan and it's so awesome just be careful what you write down because it's it's going to come true. So with that being said, guys, appreciate you listening and hope you got a lot of value out of it. Ryland, thanks so much. Yeah, Antonio, Landon, thank you guys. I um, really appreciate the time. Thanks for tuning in to the Learn Lead Podcast, where you get to own your life. Stay tuned for our future guests coming soon. Make sure to like and subscribe.